Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases through the lens of a trained investigator and former prosecutor turned judge. If you are sensitive to expletives, anatomical descriptions, and accurate descriptions of crime scenes, this podcast may not be suitable for you. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. I'm Megan. We're shaking our gree-gree. It is shooketh. <sighs> Megan, I have for you today something that has been in the works for over a year. Wow. Yes. Our lovely Patreon, one of our very first, as a matter of fact, Brianna. We've mentioned her a couple of times. She has sent us some of the crystals for the sack. Um, just a lovely supporter of this podcast. She sent me two books last October. And... I told her what a gift getting physical books are to me because I, I love it too. I, it, it, I get to sit with myself and do something that I enjoy. And it's just in this busy life and world, I rarely get to do that. So I explained to her that I was saving the books for spring break. I wanted to just sit and enjoy them on spring break, which I did. But they were, it's such a tragic story. Well, and we've explained before, we have to read them twice. It's like you yes. read them once to get the gist and to, yeah, uh, and enjoy, to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And then you have to read it again to take all your notes. Yep, to do the actual Or vice research. versa. Yeah, 100%. And so this truly I have been working on since spring break of this year. Well but done, I, lady. I also struggled with, and you'll understand why as we get more into it, the tragedy of the story, the victim's ages are just so similar to my own children gotcha. that I was like, okay, each time I went to go do the research part after reading the books, I would have to kind of just take a separation for a while. And I, I don't know that I will get through this whole story without breaking down at some point in time. Well, you um, know, if you cry, I'll cry. If you we, all cry. Up, we all cry. Yep. Yes. Then people write us and say, don't worry. I cried too. Perfect. And I understand, but I want. And then some people will say that we weren't professional because we cried. Yeah. To those people, we say wrong podcast for you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Maybe find your soul somewhere along the line too. Um, but <laughs> So I, I also just wanted to make sure that I did this one justice. So I didn't rush through it. Thanks, Brianna. I Brienne. didn't rush through the research. I want to do good by Brianna because she brought us this. It's, it is from her hometown. Like she, if I remember right, um, is like a librarian or she has a library of her own in her house. But this isn't something that she's heard on other podcasts. It's very near and dear to her heart. Okay. And so another reason why I just wanted to make sure that we did really good by this one we have our witch's brew because it's October. Mm -hmm. And we're going to bring you something not scary, but horrifying. Actually, it is very scary. <gasps> oh, it, it fits. Not spooky. It fits with the spooky. We'll no get to kidding. the spooky at the end. There's some spooky. I like that you're giving me that. It is a case, yes. But there, because of the events that happened at this particular location, it is now known as one of the most haunted places. Yeah, oh so it, it fits. It all ties in. So Give thank it to me, girl. you very much, Brianna. And I can't, can't thank you enough just for the generous gift of the books and in bringing us this story. This is going to be a two-part. Like I said, I wanted to do it real damn good. And... I am bringing you the first book that I want to talk about. You can get it online um, or probably even in local bookstores. It's called Gitchy Girl, The Survivor's Inside Story of the Mass Murders That Shocked the Heartland by Phil Hammond and Sandy Hammond. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about Gitchy Manitou. Or it's Manitou, probably Manitou. I think it's Manitou. Manitou, Manitou, yeah. So she's Canadian? Uh, no. No, oh, this sorry. actually happened in like Northwest Iowa. There's some South oh, Dakota. I forget mm -hmm. that even that we have um, Indian, that might be Ottawa actually, Indian or Odawa. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it wrong in Canada and in Michigan. Mm -hmm. So we have lots of uh, Native American type place There's names. lots of Native okay. American So this is, she is ties. US. You just mm -hmm. were going to surprise me because I was like, I didn't know Brianna was Canadian. So she's not. Nope. Okay. Nope. Very close to it, but nope. <laughs> so actually Gitche Manitou stands for Great Spirit. It's a state preserve park in Lyon County, very northwest Iowa. 
just a few miles from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Dakota, excuse me, Dakota. Now all of a sudden you're from the East Coast. <gasps> I am South Dakota. Okay. Tater. <laughs> yeah. Well, and what I had wrote, like Sioux Falls, South Dakota, is where our listener, uh, Brianna, is from. Okay. Yeah, so this was very, very close. Just miles from, from where she's at. Um, I'm going to open up with truly where this case starts for us. And listeners should know, I am old school over here I for a this. moment. I have the my paper notes that I, I started on um, <laughs> the cruise ship from spring break. Love so it. if you hear paper flip, flapping, that's why. I'm going to take you to November 18th, 1973, where a local man was test driving a car with his wife when he discovered three bodies. Not just any bodies, but brutally murdered bodies left senselessly on the side of the road in the state park of Gitche, Manitou. Okay. He calls in uh, to 911, or I don't know if 911 was there. That part, I was, I was just ad-libbing that one, but he calls the police. He calls for okay. help. <laughs> calls for help. The county sheriff, Craig Vinson, was called. Now, this is so unusual for this area that initially Sheriff Vinson thought that this had to have been a prank. And he was a little irritated that he was being called away from the football game that he was currently watching. I actually even think it was referenced to the Detroit Lions, which I was excited about. Right. Um, yeah, that he was he was not happy about being pulled away because this has to be a prank. There Small is towns no way. are not used to this. Correct, correct. So the only other deputy that works with Sheriff Vinson, because this is such a small area, is Leroy Greasy, G-R-I-E-S-S-E. I'd pronounce it Greasy. Yep. He was um, described, both. actually both of them were really described as being very warm and compassionate, um, despite the things that they see on duty as police officers, okay? So when they arrived and realized... This is not a prank. These really are three bodies. They immediately call in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, for some backup help. Like to their state they police knew, department? They knew. Well, um, so this is actually in Iowa. Like their county here is in Iowa, Lyons County. Oh, but they call but in they call, South yep, Dakota. They do. They okay. call in because they're so close. I, yeah, they're I the, get it. Yep, we're, they're the closest. We're, we're a tri-county or tri-state area we here are. where we are. Yep. So that's where this case starts okay all right now i'm going to tell us about the one survivor that's in this case there is a survivor one of the ones on the side of the road no okay okay not one of the ones on the side of the road but a survivor this is a twisty turny i'm fidgeting i I need to put put my bracelet away i'm on the edge of my seat so let's talk about sandra chesky okay in 1973 when this case started she was 13 years old She was born in 1960. She has brown hair, brown eyes. She's the youngest of four. She has French and Cheyenne River Sioux descent. So she is just gorgeous because she has that tan skin, Native American gorgeousness. The cheekbones, the eyes. Absolutely. Yes. With like the exotic French look. And she doesn't look her age at 13. Just so you know. Absolutely. Um, she actually had a really dramatic birth story that I included. Sometimes I, I don't include little details about this. They're about things like this, but I did for this because of the way that it just beautifully foreshadowed this woman's life. Okay. Her birth story was that she was born in the back of a car on the way to the hospital. Um, her parents are Cameron and Dolores known as Lolo. I like it. Chesky. They uh, they actually got married really quickly uh, together. Okay, they hadn't known each other very long. Got married. It was those kind things, of a whirlwind. Those romance. things happened. They <laughs> sure do. Uh, and when Sandra was born, she was actually Lolo's fifth birth. Birth. Oh, so she's got four prior children. She does, but she lost a son at birth before Sandra. Okay. Okay. Sandra's a rainbow baby. She is a rainbow baby, and she has all older brothers. Oh, I yep. love that. I love that idea. So, so I, protected. Mm-hmm. Yep. It is just the irony wasn't lost on me of how dramatic she came in, you know, came in as 
uh, being a rainbow baby, being born in a vehicle on the Very way to quickly. the hospital. Yep, exactly. So Sandra's parents actually end up getting a divorce when she was really young. It, when Sandra was really young, excuse yes. me. And Lolo, so Lolo, her mom, that's how I'm going to refer to her because that's how everybody, and I, and I just love it. It's Her name's Dolores, but Lolo is just. What a great nickname for Dolores. It sure I've is. I've never heard it. I dig it. At my own niece, we call her Lolo because yes, her name I is Lauren. And I, I, there was just another tie for me, you know. So Lolo has Sandra and her three brothers, Jim, Bob, and Bill, uh, to care for on her own because, okay. remember, they got divorced. She was a very, very hard worker. No one could ever say that Lolo didn't work her ass off. Okay, because she did. She was constantly working. And she wanted to go to nursing school, which she did. But at that time when she's trying to raise four small children, oh, yeah. go to nursing school and work multiple jobs to make ends meet, what she did was she had the kids for a, a period of time while she was in school go live with her parents. So Sandra That's and typical of the Jim, 70s. Absolutely. Jim, Bob, and Bill all go with Sandra to live on a real farm, like a real farmstead. Not just a farm, a farmstead. The farm didn't have indoor plumbing. It was legit. Rough in it. It was. Pioneer days. It absolutely was. It was a farmstead. Got it. And Sandra and her brothers absolutely loved it. They had no phone, they had no running water, they had no indoor plumbing, but these kids were treated and loved so well, and they just loved the farm life. You know, they're kids that can run around and get dirty and have all that freedom, and and it made it so that Sandra grew incredibly close with her grandma and grandpa. She loves animals, and I'm not speaking in past tense because she is, like I said, a survivor of this case. She actually has a really tender heart for animals. Even at the age of three, her grandpa could recognize this. And her grandpa... Farmers know. They do. And he just would reiterate of how special she is. He actually said, you're a kind girl and God did good with you. That was his mantra that he would say to her frequently because she had a really big heart about saving all of the insects, all of the, 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 um, little rodents on the farm, any animal. She just had a really big, has a really big heart for that. She was raised a very Christian, her grandma and grandpa are very Christian upbringing, but they helped her stay in touch with her native bloodline. So she also has that spiritual connection as well. And um, she feels very connected with the earth. She has a respect for it, for how everything is connected within the universe. Another similarity here for me where I really resonated with Sandra. Absolutely. Um, Just before Sandra turned four, Lolo had uh, her two-year nursing degree. So she had her and the boys move back in with her. Okay. And just a short time later, grandpa actually passes away. Oh. Yep. Um, so Lolo did a really great job making sure that the kids were kind, were grateful, and really understood like how the world work worked. And I wanted to include this story too. They did get food commodities, okay, um, to help. She's a single mom with four kids. Putting Absolutely. Putting herself through school. Mm-hmm. Yep. Lolo always took the kids with her and always let the kids know where that food was coming from and how they should be thankful for it. I freaking I do love too. that. Love I do that. too. And that's what this those type of, that's what our taxpayer dollars are for. Mm-hmm. And she made something of herself because of it. Sure did. She needed the assistance and then she went to was school. There. Yeah. yeah. So she could feed her family and herself. And, and Amazing. And grow in her family and better herself and her family and her situation. That is what it's for. Agreed. But I just love that she included the kids so that they understood this is why this is here and we should be grateful that this assist- assistance is here. Um, now with that said, we know Lolo has to work long hours. Nurses have to work long hours. They work weird shift shifts. So the kids did have to care for one another, probably sooner in life than most families of the time would have to. But Sandra was really close with her brothers, especially Bill. And they all, you know, they were like typical siblings with each other, but they looked out for one another as well. 
and they loved to like annoy each other and play tricks on each other. Um, there was a story in the book that I just loved where Sandra recalled going to turn on her bedroom light and it was on a, a chain pole. I remember. And I, I, I just know. my old house had one of those as a matter it. of fact. Too. Like it still happens today. Well, one of her brothers tied a dead mouse to it. So she went to pull it in the dark and there's a dead mouse there. I'm like, oh, that sounds like so normal. Such it a is. normal sibling relationship. Perhaps if that happened now, it would cause years of trauma and uh, therapy. But perhaps. it didn't to us. It, it didn't. Children of the 70s and for you, 80s. Uh, yeah, right, 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 right. And for you, 80s. Good times, good times. Um, <laughs> so Sandra starts school. And at this point in time, her mom is dating a new man. And after a while, the four kids that aren't this man's become a big stressor. Okay. It happens. We've seen it happen. We have. It's a different time. It's the 70s. So in 1971, uh, Sandra and her brothers are placed in foster care uh, willingly. This is not, this was not a removal. No one was being abused or neglected. It was simply that there was a lot of fighting going on, particularly with the man and the boys. And it was just a lot for them all to handle. And so... Lolo and this man of the house not having the skills to cope with this voluntarily place um, after years of the stressors kind of coming to a head because remember I said it's 1971 mm -hmm. so at this point and then the case take pla takes place in 1973 when she's 13 so she's only you know 11 right. she's 11 at this point in time so it's been since she was about five to the age 11 where this is all coming to a head all right okay and they're in trying to live that blended family lifestyle. So she's about 11. She's placed voluntarily placed in foster care. She was constantly calling her mom, begging her mom to come home because she, the first foster placement that she was in, um, the foster parents actually were very physically abusive to their own child uh. with what was described as like a coat hanger, um, like hit beatings and things like that. There's not allegations that that was happening to Sandra, but she was witnessing it. And she's not used to that kind of uh, discipline style. Yeah. So it was very traumatic for her to witness that. Yeah, I, I'm, I have lots of feelings about what you're saying right now. Just I, knew things, I know things were done differently when it they came were. to um, family violence and fighting in the home at that point. And I think it was probably normal to have this type of voluntary placement, but it yep. still gives you a bad feel. It does. It does. Um, so Lolo made the appropriate arrangements for her to be moved, not home as Sandra had hoped would happen, Aww. but to another foster family. Now this foster family was a bit odd because remember I told you how gorgeous she is. Yes. Please the, don't go where I think you're going. No, okay. it's not. It's just more so of the creepy thing, the statements that they would make like, quote, you're going to be my little Miss America someday. Oh, okay. And it's just a lot of focus on how um, she was, how gorgeous she was, and that was talked about a lot. And so her other issue with this foster home was that she felt like she was treated as a slave. She wanted to come home. Um, she was begging her mom, and she was trying to explain to her mom how she had to do all of this family's chores. She wasn't allowed to be a, a kid at this home, which was also very common in the early 70s for they were, people to use foster children. It's basically as uh, household workers. Yes. I, I totally recall those cases. Yep. So finally, Lolo agrees that um, her and Bill can come home, all right? Okay. They're the two youngest. But not the brothers. The other two brothers at this point in time did not. The older two. They're getting older. Yep, exactly. So her and Bill, who she was closest with, came home, but it was short-lived because mom's man had the idea that they should go to boarding school. Now, remember I mentioned that they have Native American heritage. Yes. What this boarding school. Were there school, tribal schools? It was the res. Okay. They got, yep, they got taken to, to tribal schools on what was described as the res, as we would know if any of you guys watch Yellowstone, it's you're familiar with it. Yep, the reservation because of their Native American heritage. Um, but the problem here is that for Sandra, this is worse than foster care because lots of girls there, A, they're not nice. 
But also, remember I told you she had French and Native American heritage? Yeah. To these girls on the res, she's a white girl. Right. She is not an Indian, right? Yeah. And she's she's not. She's not Native American. And they just really had a problem with that. So they singled her out. Of course. Um, because now, teenage girls are mean no matter what your ethnicity. Absolutely. <laughs> they true. sure are. We it, are bitches. Yep. Especially we're now at the age of 11, 12. Yeah. Yeah. So hard. And to make matters worse, the adults would over-discipline. So as we would say, Megan, um, full-on abuse by them, you know, punishing, beating, leather belts, those sorts of things. Um, those were acceptable forms of discipline in these places. Well, as we've seen point, time and time there again. was little to no type of regulation, um, supervision or yep. regulation other than whatever um, tribal law was, which could actually be fairly strict depending on what a reservation it was and what tribe you were talking about in terms of affiliation. But yeah, I mean, there wasn't any type of um, real regulation regarding same. No, no. Sandra described how the bed smelled like pee. There was never any hot water because there was so many kids that had to take baths and showers. Right. Um, and she just, she was just too kind and gentle in nature, as I described from her at three years old, to be able to be hard enough to make it there. It just, you know, it just wasn't good. This baby wanted her mom. She, she to did. go home. I'm so sad. And and she spent a lot of time, Her that's what her phone calls were to her mom. And I can't imagine the inner turmoil that Lolo had to have been going through between that conflict of what your husband is demanding of you and what your mama heart is saying of you. Now, you and I are very strong women. We know what we would do to, in today's world of how we were raised. This is early 1970s. No idea what I would have done there then, right? I, I would have liked to have thought what I would do, but I wasn't raised in that time. Let's be honest. We'd both be in jail. Yeah, probably. Probably. I'd yeah. be tatted up, which is great. And I'd be at Woodstock. Mm-hmm. And be, yeah. Trying to figure out who my baby's time. daddy was. For sure. <laughs> that is exactly where you're being. Free love. Right. See? <laughs> so Sandra spent one school year there. And then she was finally allowed to come home for the summer. Um, just so you know, too, she didn't even get to come home for Christmas that one year that she spent on the res. Thanks it. to Lolo's man. So, I don't so, like this guy. No, and his name is not ever mentioned in the book. It's not and worth mentioning. And I imagine that it is intentional. Good, mm-hmm. it's not worth mentioning. Right. I have some names for him. Yep. Oh, yeah, we could come up. I mean, we're famous for that. Coming <laughs> right. up with creative names, right? So Summer's here. The family Look is- Look up the is, family, Freddy. Let's call him Freddy. Okay, his name's Freddy. Right. Yeah, I like it. Fits in so many different ways. So Summer's here. The family is back together. The boys do get to come home. Okay, and Sandra has her friends with her within walking distance. Okay, she's looking forward to the eighth grade. Things are just really starting to fall back into place here. And at this point, she assumes she's going to be going to eighth grade in her own hometown. Yes, and she is. That was the plan. That was the plan, right? That was the plan. And then suddenly Lolo announces that the family has to move to T, South Dakota. T-E-A. T, South Dakota. Now, you know what I recently learned? There is a T. No, it's Nay. Never mind. The story isn't relevant. There is a Nay, Ohio that I drive through and I'm like, Nay? Nay? T? Yeah. T. It was the three letter thing that made me correlate it in my brain, but it turns out they're two different words entirely. Well, <laughs> sorry. <that's laughs> sorry for that derailing. You're welcome for the inner workings of Charnel's brain. brain. Yes. Oh, Lord. I'm just glad that it Coming was Coming to you live. The hamsters are running on <laughs> full blast. They're running on caffeine and regret right now well, is what they're Currently, they're going to run on some witch's brew. Uh, Would you like a refill? Yes. Okay. Fill me up while we continue on. So they have to move to T, South Dakota. And at this time, I hadn't mentioned it yet, but at this time, they had lived in Minnesota. La Minnesota. Okay. Minnesota. And now they're going to move to T, South Dakota. So Minnesota is where her friendships were formed up until the age of 11 when she was put in foster care for that one, you know, had that those moments in foster care, then an entire year on the res, and then um, was back into to Minnesota, and now she has to move to T, South Dakota. They had no choice because um, 
as soon as they were told the moving vans were there and the just so you guys know the move was because was financial um because of a job opportunity so it wasn't like done out of maliciousness nope. anything like that it was just family things you know that job takes you elsewhere that's how things worked mm-hmm. the man the mm-hmm. breadwinner mm-hmm. he gets a job whole family moves whole family pack goes. up the station wagon no seat belts in the back yep. throw the dog in too mm-hmm. so here sandra is she's a couple of months away from her 13th birthday And she's moving away from her friends and everything that's familiar in life to her once again. So let me take you to the summer of 1973. If you recall, I opened this case with November 18th, 1973. Yes. So this move happens in the summer. The change of Sandra's life happens only months before the tragedy that makes this a murder case. Okay. All in the same year. You're giving me a hell of a buildup. I sure am. I sure am. The like family being tickled with a feather, but the feather's made of metal and it's really sharp. <laughs> and also has electricity going through it. Yep. It's, yep. A, it's jolty. <laughs> it's jolty. Oh, we're getting to the jolt for sure. So they lived in a farmhouse that was about a half a mile outside of the town. Um, so the kids would just often walk to town for something to do. Now, Sandra being Sandra made friends fast. Okay, so yes, it's sad that she left her childhood friends, but she is so outgoing and such a gentle, loving soul that people are drawn to her light, and she makes friends fast. One of her friends was an older girl who's 16. She's got her driver's license. Her name was Debbie, and they were the first, they were first friends, okay? So she's three years older, but here's the thing. Sandra looks like she's 16 at the age of 13. Oh, yeah. So Debbie doesn't even really, I think, realize. And and with her gentleness and her maturity, she does not act. She doesn't present at all like a 13-year-old, both in affect or in appearance. Okay. Okay, so it's easy for Debbie to connect with her, even though she's three years younger. And developmentally, they technically should be in two different stages. Come on, Charnel. Didn't we all have the one girl when we were in like sixth or seventh grade that looked like she was in high school? She already had boobs and like perfect skin and her hair was great. And she looked like she walked out of a a teen bop magazine. And she just fit right in with the older girls. And you're over Mm -hmm. here awkward with too big a teeth and, you know, just still waiting for the titties to come in. Right. I mean, when they did, we both were blessed, but still, I mean, until (laughs) then it was, it was awkward. It's awkward. It's awkward. Absolutely. So here's where Debbie's real appeal comes. And in her connection, Debbie and Sandra's connection, as described in this book, is is nothing short of genuine, okay? But Debbie did like that she got more attention from boys when Sandra was around. I mean, yeah. Right. Why do you think I picked certain friends that I had in high school? Exactly. I have very pretty friends. Oh, yes, me too. Like the reason. kind that make you feel bad, but at the same time, you're like, hey. But I fit in. Milkshake brings other <laughs> Right. <laughs> Right, exactly. What I had in awkwardness, my friends made up for in beauty, and it worked out. Oh, my God. Don't worry. We've surpassed them now. (laughs) (laughs) So here is Sandra and Debbie. They're fast friends, and it was nice for Sandra because Debbie had a vehicle, and she could drive, and who doesn't love that at that age? I always had older friends for that reason. 100%. I dated older guys for that reason. Word. And apparently, I never grew out of it. (laughs) No, apparently not. You went even older. Oh, even older. <laughs> yep. Apparently now I like them geriatric. I'm just kidding. Oh my God, it's that's funny. so funny. I like him incapacitated just a little, so I don't know if he's going to survive till the next day. Jesus Christ. You're going to be on this podcast someday. Someday. Also, he doesn't listen, so he has no idea how much I make fun of his age. Zero. He's, he's very competent right now, but let's give it time, people. None. We weren't joking when we said she's the she's the girl's, uh, that would be the dog's, by the way, husband and your daddy. That's right. I was going to refer to him that as that when I saw him earlier. Hey, daddy. But hey. I thought he might take it wrong. Oh, he would love it. I think you should. <laughs> okay. I think you should. All right. Perfect. So it's during the hot summer of 1973 that Sandra meets the very handsome Roger Essam. Oh, hello, and Roger. Roger is gorgeous. He's like everything that you would imagine from a hot... You know, 1973 teenage boy. Oh, like in pictures, Tom Selleck. <laughs> you know, he's got the dark hair. Yeah, he doesn't have, of course, no one can pull off a mustache like Tom. Uh, only but, uh, only Tom Selleck, uh, Ron Swanson, and Sam Elliott, in my opinion. 
Exactly. What a list. I Bravo, will, I my will friend. not deviate from it or add to it. People I, have tried and failed. And failed. So, Roger, you have to know something about Roger. Roger is 17. Okay. Oh, Roger, no. Roger doesn't know. Oh, he doesn't know her age? Of course not. Because she looks like she's 16. And she acts like it. And she's hanging out with Debbie, who has a driver's license, who is 16. So made, he made okay. an assumption. Yeah, they have a meet cute. Always, always Carter, Roger. That's right. So here they are at the Starlight Drive-In Theater with this meet cute And they fall in love. I mean, just like she is drawn to him and he is drawn to her. Love at first sight. And you have to read the book because it is such a beautiful description of the first time that she saw him and what he was wearing. And it just brings back all of your teen love feels, you guys. It's so beautifully described. And I'm not going to, you know, read it for you in this moment because save it for you buying the book. But it's beautiful. So Roger and Sandra start spending time together. No, Sandra never told him her age. And she doesn't recall that he ever asked because she was with Debbie. Assumptions were made. And being 13 and naive, you know, she just kind of was like, don't ask, don't tell. He didn't ask, so I'm not going to tell. And She maybe knew that he was older. Can you imagine that all she was thinking was, they're both in love and he's going to break up with me as soon as he finds out? Absolutely. So if he doesn't specifically ask me, I don't have to specifically tell. Fair. Not appropriate, but fair. Right, right. The mind of a 13-year-old. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. So while we're on this topic, though, I do want to reiterate that Roger was only ever loving and kind to Sandra. Okay. Good. The two never took their relationship or or never had the chance, Megan, to take their relationship to a physical intimate place because of the cruel nature of the perpetrators in this case and how they ruin any chance at young love. Okay. Okay. But I love that they're in love. Yes. And they haven't even been physical, which is actually good because she wasn't old enough to consent. She wasn't. But he didn't know that. So, wow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So much, so much going on here. Twisties and turnies. My brain hurts just Mm. a little. So now I'm going to take you to November 17th, 1973 at 2 p.m. We started this case on November 18th. Okay. I'm with you. So this is the day before the tragedy. Okay. It's 2 p.m. Sandra gets a phone call from Roger asking her if she would like to accompany him and some of his friends to Gitchy Manitou to hang out. Now, as I mentioned, this is a state park in way out in the country where people camp. Teens like to go hang out, smoke some pot, probably make a baby or two. You know, if I had to take a guess. Absolutely. It's a state park, right? Of course. Yes. Sandra is so excited and looking forward to a Saturday night with her boo. Since she lived out of town, what the plan was is that they were going to have Roger's friend, Stu, come and pick Sandra up. Stu was a great friend and a great guy, the kind that would would drive 12 miles out of the way to pick up his best buddy's girl so that they could all hang out, okay? Roger had told her that Stu would be on his way, and she's like, cool, when? He's like, right now. He's going to be on his way right now. Okay. But by 8 p.m., when he had still not picked her up, Sandra was getting really worried that Roger has cha- had changed his mind. And, of course, all the teenage things run through your mind, right? Like maybe he found out my age. Maybe he's not really in that into me. What's he doing? That kind of thing. But finally, Stu, Stu calls and tells her, I'm on my way. At this point, Sandra knows it's late. And although her mom is working late as usual, because Lolo is still working her long hours, okay, even in the new house. Absolutely. She's a nurse. None of this surprises me. Yep. So her brother Bill was home, and she wanted to invite Bill along too, because he was the same age as Roger, and so he fit right in with Roger's group of friends, right? So Bill was going to come along until literally... Stu pulls into the driveway. Sandra's about to get into Stu's van. And one of Bill's friends pull up and tell Bill, come on, I'm taking you to a party because that chick that you've been having your eye on is going to be there. And so Bill looks at Sandra like, do you really need me? Sandra gives him the go ahead. You go meet the chick. I'm totally fine. I just wanted you to come hang out. 
you know, be with me because it was going to be late, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so the two have that communication of, no, it's fine. And Bill goes have with you, his friend. Do Does her family know that she's seeing this guy? Yes. To my understanding, they know that she, in this day and this age, there was just coming and going. Kids are just coming and going and hanging out with each other. It and also her wasn't older brothers really looked out for her. Okay. And so there was not any concern about. I yeah. understand that. And these, these group of friends that she's hanging out with are good kids. I also want to point out that at that point in time, there wasn't a huge, I, I don't even know if there were statutory uh, rape laws and we know they weren't physical here, but so right. this is just an insertion. Um, but a lot of, I know, pun, Poor bad, choice bad of choice words, of words. My friend. I know, I know. <laughs> I don't mean to penetrate your minds anymore, but um, so in terms of there being a statutory age requirement, I don't even know if that would have been implemented at that point. But think about back to our parents' ages and the fact that it wouldn't have been abnormal for somebody who was 15 to date like an 18-year-old and them to be engaged. Parents would even sign off so that you could get married when you were 17 or or 16 instead of 18. Um, My aunt did that with her first husband. He was uh, older than her. And in the Marine Corps, and so my grandparents signed and allowed her to be married. I believe she was married for the first time when she just was 17, just 17. Yep. Nice. I was her flower girl. We're only, I'm, my, I'm only 15 years apart from my aunt. Uh-huh. So, and yeah, I, that was just normal. Nice. Not bad parenting. No. Great human beings. Yep. Just, yeah. 1974, my parents were married at 16. Yeah, both of them. Both, yes. Okay. They were married they to were each other 16. at 16. Yeah, interesting, right? Yes. And they are and still they, married, y'all. They sure are going on 50 years. They live in their old world and they never leave the farm. That's right. <laughs> They're happy as can be. So yeah, and, but my grandparents did have to sign off. My mom and I have talked about that. For sure. They did have to sign off that they could get married at 16. So, and that was just 1974. Here we are in 1973. So this is just what the world is, you know? So Sandra is in Stuart Bade's van. That's the friend Stu, okay, that picked her up. It was a 1967 blue Chevy van and one that Stu was very proud of. He worked for UPS when he, was, when he wasn't in school, all right? He worked for UPS, and he bought this van himself. Now, Stu had brought along his own 14-year-old brother, Dana Bad, that night as well. And I'm just going to connect the dots for you right now okay. that one family loses two sons oh, shit. in this tragedy. Okay. I was, I was clenching my teeth. Yep. Also in the van is Roger Essam and another friend in the group called Mike Hadrath. Mike was one of Roger's BFFs. He also happened to be an accomplished athlete and a very sweet guy too. So these five teens are off for a night in the park where they planned to light a fire, smoke some weed, which is why it took them so long to pick Sandra up because... um, Because when you smoke weed, you drive five miles an hour? Oh. (laughs) Because they didn't want to buy a lot because they don't do this regularly. They just wanted a little, and it was very difficult in their small town to find someone who would only sell a small amount. Plus, you're not used to So nobody knows how to roll it. Right, right. You're, this you're, is all. This is all new. All these things. They're they're fucking up the rule. Mm-hmm. They can't. No one has a pipe. They didn't have yep. bongs then. I lied. And they totally had bongs. It was a, the seventies. At this time, it's illegal. Of so course, we it have is. To do of this course, all it is. on it's, the DL. It's illegal, but they basically got slaps on the hands and fines. Mm-hmm. But this is an important part. Okay. Of the night. Okay. That they have weed on them. That, that it's illegal. It's only a very, very small amount. Just know, enough for them they to smoke all that come night. come up as issues in a later trial. That's all I'm thinking is trial and investigation. No, that's actually not where I was going with that. Oh, good. Okay. Yes, I could see why you would jump to that conclusion. Well, because people like to blame teens um, who are victims because they have been voluntarily intoxicated at the time that they were either right. assaulted or harmed. Right, right. Well, and in this, this particular case, you're going to understand why things... Because of that, why I'll things rolled the way they were. And guessing. No pun intended. But just rolled. <laughs> rolled. Marijuana. Uh-huh. Get it. Get it. I it would hit the badunk dunk on our little there. thing. Is oh yep, there it is. Yeah. Um, but anyway, they also brought guitars because Stu played the guitar and he was teaching his little brother Dana how to play the guitar. I would have been a sucker for the musician, I'm just saying. I know. Outside I know the van would've. waiting for Stu. Mm-hmm. So 
This crew arrives to a spot at Gitchy Manitou where they could see that someone had recently had a fire, but it seemed like they had vacated the spot. So they're gone. No one's around. The fire is dull. There was just embers. Sure. All right. So they get out. Dana got um, paper kindling from the van while the other boys gathered some wood and they had a fire going before they knew it. Sandra was snuggled into Roger's plaid jacket and listening to Stu play a chord on his guitar and literally watching him teach his brother Dana how to play as well. When suddenly the group hears some twigs snapping nearby. Now, the entire campsite is surrounded by a very unusually heavy for that time of year autumn fog. So I want you to picture this. I can because it was this morning. Yes. Very heavy, unusual autumn fog. But you're sitting at a campsite in a state park. Okay. So no one is around and you can't see anything beyond the light of the fire. Now, Dana. Creepy. Yep. Dana Bade, who is 14 and attending the eighth grade in middle school. Um, now I do want to add Sandra does not attend the same school as the boys. So that's another reason why they don't know her real age and know that she's also in eighth grade. Uh, She's 13. Okay. Remember. Yeah. So just keep this in perspective. They don't go to the same school. Okay. So after they hear some twigs and they're a little creeped out, Dana's like, you know what, Stu, teach me another chord. Cause he's trying to just like, let's, let's forget about that. We don't want everybody being freaked out and hearing some twigs crunching and and um, they are recognizing that these twigs crunching are d- creeping them out. Well, it does sound like someone walking, but they're really trying to not like freak one another out. And so they start to Stu starts to play another chord to teach Dana. And just as the group starts to relax they hear the unmistakable sound of footsteps slowly creeping toward them. I don't like it. Roger, at this point in time, puts his hand on Sandra's leg in a protective way while he sits up upright on the log that they were sharing. He is clearly concerned, but he tells Sandra, you know what, it could be a bear. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's let's not. Oh, yeah, because that's not fucking concerning oh, at all. Oh, for I'd sure. I'd be more afraid that it was a bear than a, than a homicidal he- maniac be- right. at that point. Uh-huh. Because this shit doesn't happen. Not unless you're watching a horror flick. It just didn't happen then. No. And it's November, right? It's November 17th. And so they're just like, okay, it it could be a bear. It could be wildlife. But then the twigs and leaves rustling and and breaking become louder. Okay. And Mike, being the athlete, stands up and gets into like an automatic defensive stance, right? Like he's like, "Mm, hold on. I know that stance. I Mm -hmm. use it at Walmart. (laughs) Absolutely. Me too. For a long while, there is no sound and the group just decide to kind of pass their joint around thinking that it's just their mind playing tricks. Maybe the weed's making them a little bit paranoid. So if they just, you know, have another, yeah, take another little, little hit, then maybe... Um, it will you know, help them if relax. If you're feeling paranoid from weed, you should definitely Not, keep smoking it. Yeah, because <laughs> you'll get to the point where it makes you relax. I don't actually know that, but <laughs> I hear. I I don't know. I heard. I am, I don't. I don't know. I asking am for loser, a friend. I'm the loser who has never actually smoked weed before. <laughs> I believe that. I I don't like smoking anything. I'm like my parents smoked when I grew up. I can't imagine inhaling anything. And we've talked about that before too. Uh-huh. You know, like your grandparents' house filled with smoke because it was just normal. Mm-hmm. Yep, so I just, it just was never, never appealing to me that way. But anyway, no judgment to anybody who does. Stu and Dana go for more kindling. They're just like, okay, we, the fire is almost out. Maybe that's what's freaking us out that we can't see very much, so right? So let's go off together alone and get kindling. So the brothers, you know, Stu and Dana, let's go get more kindling. Um, and so This is a bad horror movie. It is, which is another reason why it was appropriate for Shocktober. But I do. I feel like I'm watching a 1980s horror flick. Now do you start... Has to, someone made a movie from this? Not to my... They could. I, perhaps. Or based off of it. This is awful. I am, I'm not certain if they have. Maybe they have. It does seem like it... That perhaps that has happened, and I don't know if it's in my notes, okay. but forgive me because I researched so much. That That's okay. Another bonus that I'm working on, there is a movie made out of it, so I don't want to get the two mixed up, but... Uh, but yes, so 
what happens is Dana and Stu go to gather kindling. Everything's quiet for a while. And then all of a sudden, the group starts to hear footsteps again. So Roger calls out to him and was like, hey, you know, where are you guys at? They hear Dana call back from the opposite direction of where the footsteps were coming from, Megan. Okay. So they hear these footsteps and they're like, okay, it's probably just Stu and Dana. So they call out to them. Stu and Dana yell back. Well, Dana yells back and it's not from where the footsteps were coming from. Now, remember, it's foggy. So Stu and Dana come back just as it's evident that there is more than one set of footsteps and they seem to be surrounding them. Okay. So the group now knows that they're being stalked and that there is someone in the foggy woods beyond their fire. Now, there are just some things that I could never do justice, okay? So I am going to read for you directly from Gitchy Girl, the survivor's inside story of the mass murders that shocked the heartland by Phil Hartman and Sandy, or excuse me, Phil Hammond and Sandy Hammond. So suddenly two figures emerge out of the the fog, okay? And now I'm about to start my quote. I'm ready. They emerged from the darkness, moving methodically. Sandra's muscles clenched in fear at the sight of their scowling faces. Her Her knees nearly buckled, but she forced herself to remain standing. They held guns. One raised his weapon. Boom. A terrifying explosion ripped through the campsite. Boom. Then another. Lean and dauntless, years of athletic training enabled Mike to react quickly in the face of adversity. He grabbed Sandra and he pulled her along until they reached a sheer drop-off at the river's edge, where they shielded themselves behind a tree. Stay still, Mike ordered, as he handed her, as he held her protectively behind the only barrier that stood between them and gunfire. So the, okay. End quote. So there are perpetrators that just open fire on these teenagers around this campsite. And Mike has grabbed Sandra protectively. And taken her to some type of a backdrop yes, to try to get her away. Yes, there's like a ditch. There's a ditch with a river and they can't uh, presumably they can't just jump down the it. River. Right. And so they're behind a tree. They're behind a tree. They are behind a tree. More shots were fired and Stu shouts out that he's been shot. His voice is in obvious pain. Sandra does not know where Roger is. This is because he was one of the first shot. And for sake of not confusing you, since there are so many moving parts, and especially because we are an audio platform and you're trying to visualize while you're listening to this, I'm going to tell you that Roger, in these opening shots, has been murdered. But none of them know that Okay. at this time because it's dark because it's foggy, and they are trying to take cover. So they don't know, and Sandra does not know. Okay. So just keep that in mind. They are confused, and suddenly one of the voices shout out that they're the police. This is a drug raid, and they need to come out with their hands up. These son of a bitches. Correct. Because they're going to comply. And they Suck do. it up. Um, you pull got it, it together, Chanel. Pull it together, Chanel. You can just imagine your kids who you've taught to respect the police and they think that they are in a situation where um, some there's shots fired and then somebody's like, this is a drug raid. They happen to have a small a amount of marijuana of on them. Yep. And so they are going to comply because they're good kids. Correct. And that's where we are. And this is why it's so hard for me because that's what my boys would do. Mine too. And not just my boys, my girls. I mean, we Absolutely. have taught them to comply with the law. Yep. So Mike says to Sandra, quote, don't run. These cops have already shot at us, end quote. They don't know. They're so young and naive and taught to respect authority that they don't realize that cops just can't shoot at you like this. They wouldn't shoot first. No. They'd identify themselves. Just keep in mind that they're scared teens. They don't know the ins and outs of the legalities. And it's 1973. Right. So Mike and Sandra emerge with their hands up from the thicket and Mike tells them not to shoot, but they shoot buckshot into him anyway and they injure his shoulder. Okay. Okay. 
So Mike goes down. And let's be honest, they weren't shooting to injure. He just happened to be injured. They were probably shooting to kill him. 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. Mike goes down and Sandra went down next to him. The men continue. She wasn't shot though, right? No, Sandra she was not shot. fell with him. Okay. Sandra's not shot. The men continue to shoot all around them. They kicked Mike and then they kicked Sandra and realized that the two were still alive, but just playing dead. Oh shit. So they ordered them up and told them to keep their hands over their head, which is extremely painful for Mike because he has buckshot in his shoulder. Yeah, he's injured. Roger, still nowhere for Sandra to see. Now, Dana is not shot at this point and is still alive and was ordered to walk with Mike and Sandra farther away from the campsite, okay, and also farther away from the road. Okay. They have guns to their backs, and they're told just to walk farther into the woods. So the assailants do not use their names. What I'm going to tell you is one from, this is from Sandra's point of view at this point in time in the story, okay? One was called Boss. The other was called Hatchet Face due to his pocketed face, which I just love because we would have already given him that name. So like, thank you for making that so easy. So he's got acne pox easy, all over he his does. face and they yep. call him Hatchet Face. Yep. And the other That's was- from a movie. Oh, probably. Uh, Crybaby, Johnny Depp. Mm, is that around that same time? Uh, no, it was made after, but mm. that but it was set in that time frame. Okay. Yep. So one's called Boss, the other Hatchet Face, and the other one is just called JR. But the men don't hide their faces. I just want you to know that. Okay. Sandra can see their faces. Everyone can see their faces. They weren't planning on leaving survivors. Why would they care? Right. So they ordered the teens to walk, and they actually wired their hands tightly behind their back the entire time. So they're like, we're police officers. You guys are in for it. When the sheriff hears of you guys in the park smoking weed, they're really, really playing this whole thing up about how much trouble they're about to be in because they're, they got busted on a drug raid. Jesus. So they put sacks over their heads. At this point in time, Sandra begs um, not to have one on her head because she's claustrophobic. Right. And the boss actually takes some pity on her. So they don't bag her head. Mm Mm-hmm. The boss tells Sandra that he will try to get her off the hook from the sheriff if she will just cooperate and get in his truck. Okay. So what it boils down to. She's pretty. Absolutely. She's not just pretty. She's gorgeous. And they don't know she's 13. No one knows she's 13. Okay. So keep that in mind. What it boils down to here is that these kids are confused. They've been shot at and shot. And two of their friends are nowhere to be seen. And they don't know where they've gone. They think that they're in trouble for smoking weed in the park. None of it is really making sense. But what makes even less sense to a group of teens would be why three grown men would would pretend to be cops just to murder a group of teens. But that's exactly what happened that night. So Sandra is separated by the boss from the other boys, despite Mike trying like hell to prevent it. Okay. He knows why they want to separate Sandra. Of course he does. And he's trying trying to not let that happen. What Sandra doesn't know at this point in time in the story, but again, I'm going to give you the details because it's hard to keep bouncing back and forth visually, is that as soon as she is put into the truck and taken away by the boss, the other boys are killed execution style. Okay. All of them? All of them. So the boss tells her that they had been tranquilized and that they will wake up at the sheriff's office. Okay. She still freaking thinks that she's in trouble. Correct. And she believes that they're police officers undercover. And so she thinks for her, tranquilizing makes a lot more sense than than shots, right? Yeah, they would come in and shoot shoot people. And that's why I can't hear them. They're tranquilized. Yeah. So as they're driving around, though, Sandra is challenging the, cl- the, the cop ploy. At this point in time, she's, she has no idea what's well, really happened. it doesn't feel right now. No. Right? Right. Because I don't think a cop's going to bag your head and put you in the car. Mm-hmm. But he didn't. He didn't. He's he like, you know what? I, know. I, think, I think I could. I think that I could get you off from the sheriff is if only you cooperate. So, but she is verbally challenging what he has to say. So the boss tells Sandra that during the drug raids, what he does is he drives the truck while the others drive cars. Um, he's almost like grasping an explanation because 
Sandra is trying to like pull, put holes in the story. Essentially, she's trying to make sense of it all. And this jackass can't because he's not that smart. So Sandra asks, why did you shoot? Why'd you shoot us in the back at the fire when we had our hands up? We weren't harming anyone. And he said it was because it would be easier to take them down if they were injured. So he's giving them exp- him explanation, but he's still claiming it was tranquilizers. Okay. Okay. And remember, Sandra took cover with Mike, so she didn't. She doesn't know. She didn't see the wreckage of of Roger, right? And so she doesn't. She just doesn't know. So then he goes into an explanation about how the sheriff will have the boys blowing up balloons all night to see exactly how much grass they had been smoking. And so he told Sandra that she needed to drink a Coke that he had in the truck because it would get rid of the effects of the weed in her system and it would get her off the hook. Now, Sandra knew this didn't sound right, but what choice did she have? So she drank the Coke knowing this sounded bizarre. And I thought the same thing you're probably thinking. No, to my knowledge, the Coke wasn't laced with anything. This is just him grasping at straws to try to get her to believe his story. Okay. All right. So she drinks this Coke for no reason. In this attempt of, you know, and for whatever reason, oh, if you can blow up a bunch of balloons, then you've got a bunch of weed in your system. This is his, uh, his and now level. And the cops of, are asking me to obstruct justice to help me get off of this? Yeah. Yeah. But she. That's weird. But she's 13. I she know. has no idea. So the ne- next thing she knows, they are at what looks like an abandoned farm. And Hatchet Face and JR are there, but Sandra's friends are nowhere to be found. She could hear them talking about the four boys saying that they all tried to give away, tried to get away. This gave her hope that Roger had maybe come to from the tranquilizer that shot at him earlier. They told her that this was an abandoned farm where they stored raid supplies. So there's no easy to tell you guys all this. So I'm just, I'm just going to say it. I'm sure you've probably already guessed it. The reason that they met here with Sandra is because one of the members had an affinity for sexual assault. Right. So while the boss and hatchet face stayed outside the truck, Jr. ordered Sandra to take her clothes off and he did not wait for her to do so before ripping them away. And he sexually assaulted her and then exited the truck. Jr. and hatchet face reminded the boss to finish the job as he got back in the truck, which was code for don't forget that you're supposed to kill the girl now. The, go- the boss got back in and said, quote, see, that wasn't so bad, was it? Oh. End quote. To the traumatized 13-year-old Sandra, who said, I was a virgin, you know. To which he replied, no, you weren't. And she said, I'm only 13. Mm-hmm. And so now he knows. Okay. Now, this is where, in my opinion, the case takes a real weird turn. And I think <sighs> that it started with her confession of her young age. The boss drives around for a long time with her, seemingly not knowing what to do. He even tells her that he has a stepdaughter her age, and her age really seemed to disturb him. Oh, I'm sorry. Now you have a conscience Mm. because she's the same age as your child, Mm -hmm. her stepdaughter? Mm -hmm. Bite me, man. For sure. Suddenly, after a long time of driving around, he asked Sandra where she lived. This threw her for a loop because she thought she was going to jail. He tells her that if she does not tell him where she lives, then he can't take her home. He told her that he would take her home, but if she tells anyone what happened, then he would only go to jail for five years because he's a cop. And then when he got out, he would finish the job. He also asks her for her phone number and told her that if she tells anyone about them and he comes back to town, he's going to call her. And he's going to show her a black book that he has that has names and numbers of people who are dealing weed and snitching on people in the area, which at the time confused Sandra. But really what he was trying to say was, I have your phone number. I have your address. So if you tell anybody about me, I'm going to blackmail you and I'm going to come back and kill you. So it's 2 a.m. And he drops Sandra off at at her home. Are you fucking kidding me? No. That's why I said it takes a real weird turn. And I think it started with her age. This reminds, me of that reason. Aus- this reminds me of that Australian case. Mm-hmm. So here Sandra is at 2 a.m., welcomed by the familiar smell of her house. Last night's hamburger and onions was actually still the, the aroma in the air, which I can smell so perfectly. As a matter of fact, it does have a tend to ling- tendency to linger. She has absolutely no idea that all four of her sweet friends have been murdered. And that's where I'm going to end part one. 
Oh my God, Chanel. Okay. I know. She still thinks that this is law enforcement, that she's been sexually assaulted basically so that she doesn't get in trouble mm-hmm. and that she's been dropped off, mm-hmm. thinking they're all still alive and that she literally is involved in some type of law enforcement raid. Correct. And that her friends have been <sighs> tranquilized and that they're just going to wake up in the sheriff's department. Okay. Yeah. This, do you understand now why it took me so long I to do. put this together and I why do. I wanted to do it so good? Oh, so I'm, I'm, I'm speechless and, and literally impressed. Do, do you want me to bathe you just a little bit with I a personal do. story? I would, that would make my entire moment okay. right now on this podcast. This is a shout out to my daughter and future son-in-law, Olivia and Gabe. Okay. Now, those of you who are Patreons know that we recently did a Patreon episode of basically text fails and autocorrects. Okay. <laughs> uh huh. Now, let me preface the beginning of this story with something beautiful. This July, my uh, daughter's boyfriend Gabe, who very, very lovingly calls me mom, which mm-hmm. I love, and my husband Dad, which he is like gets chill, you know, every time. Cause it's like your daughter and he's like, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, That's he cute. Gabe is a lover. He's yeah. just such a sweet kid. Um, he's one of those kids who just loves the affection, the attention. He gets hugs and we adore mm-hmm. him. He's so, he's so perfect for a, your, my kid really. Mm-hmm. And he asked us for permission for my daughter's hand, uh, in marriage this July. But it was, was very clear that, um, it wasn't going to be for a few months because he was still, you know, saving up for the ring and wanted to make it really special. Well, my, uh, oldest is a, is a real, um, spiritual girl. She's, uh, she, she likes her, her crystals and her nature. And she's, <laughs> I refer to her as my little witchy and, um, she loves October. She loves fall and she loves Halloween. So he's like, Got a plan, okay? Mm -hmm. Didn't tell any of us when he was going to do it, but just has this plan. And then the night before last, I'm chilling on my couch, and I get calls every once in a while from Olivia, and sometimes even Gabe. Gabe will call sometimes, too. And... I answer my phone because, again, it's in the evening. It's 9 o'clock and Gabe's calling. So usually there's something wrong. Or I actually thought, oh, my God, he's going to let me know, right? Mm -hmm. This look, it happened. And I answer the phone and it's just so loud, just loudest panicky voice ever. He says, mom, I totally fucked up. I fucked up so bad. And I'm like, Gabe, what is wrong? And I'm thinking something really, really awful happened. Like, you know, did you cheat on my daughter? (laughs) What what did you do? God, do I have to kill you and hide it? Okay. He goes, so he is talking to his mom. All right. And they're talking about Thanksgiving and what they're going to do. And um, because now I have to share custody. So his parents get them for Thanksgiving. I get them for Christmas. And they're just talking about their plan. And so he's texting his mom. And he's like, um, and and mom texts him. And she goes, oh, by the time Thanksgiving gets here, you know, will I have a new, like, will there be a big announcement? And he texts her back and he says, I'm going to take her to Sleeping Bear Dunes and propose to her on Halloween. But he didn't text his mom. No. No, <laughs> Megan. No. He texted Olivia. No. Who is in the other room and it opens this text from oh. Gabe. And my daughter gets involved at this point. They have me on speakerphone and she's like, Mom, I felt so bad that she was hoping that he wouldn't realize he sent it. She was going to go grab his phone and delete the text so that he oh. didn't know that he had accidentally just ruined this surprise. And just to still let her. it be a surprise. But as she's going to the living room, Gabe picks up his phone because his mom has not messaged him back. Right. right. And he just gave very important information. Right. Like, why wouldn't she text him? And he looks at his phone and he looks up and Olivia's there and she's like, the look of horror. And Gabe's like, no. And she's like, uh, hi. Oh. <laughs> and so, right. So they baby. called me. She did end with, he has still not officially proposed. Okay. He has this whole thing planned and he is not letting it go because he put so much work into it, even though he ruined it with his text <laughs> fail. 
And she very much indicated, well, I haven't answered his question or said yes then. So we will chat about this after October 31st. That's right. We'll see. <laughs> to be continued. To be continued. On the case and on the brain bath. Absolutely for both. And I will update you at the end of the month. Please but do. Oh, that my poor God. Kid. That poor kid. Oh, precious baby. And I'm telling you, he's been obsessive about it. Like, I'm we sure. aren't allowed to say shit. We can't ask. Like, I'm like, hey, oh, when are you going to do it? send it in you... a text message. Yep, yep. Oh, he was hurt. He that was hurt, poor man. baby. All that oh. planning and you ruin it yourself. And he was just, he's beside himself. God. So still, one of those things where I'm sure this morning he woke up and looked at his soon-to-be uh, wife and just shook his head and went, seriously, I still can't believe I did this. I, right. I just can't believe I beat myself like I, that. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So Aww. anyway, there's there's your very, like, hopefully warm in the heart feeling yes. brain yes, bath. Yes, it today. was. Thank you so very much. You're welcome. All right, y'all. So if you're a Patreon, go ahead and step on over to the next part. You get it immediately. If you're not, there's a link if you'd like to join Patreon um, in the show notes. In the meantime, we hope that you keep it curious. Keep listening. Bye-bye.